Hello there, and welcome back to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Reviews with your two hosts, two men who would never photocopy their genitals, especially pressing the enlarge button. It's Bread Roll and JT. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Bread Roll. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hello everyone, and uh, we're back again. And um, this was my choice this week, wasn't it, Bread Roll? A um, bit of a strange one, but we'll go into why I've chosen it. So, what are we actually looking at then? Well, yeah, you're right. It is one from our your good self there, and it's one that I haven't, I didn't actually, um, hadn't heard of. But when I clicked on it to watch it this morning, um, I recognised the picture, so I had seen it about. I just never actually watched it or given it much thought. But this one is called Filth, um, and it came out on the 27th of September 2013 in Scotland, where this movie is actually set, and it's based off of the book by Irvin uh, Walsh, uh, Welsh, sorry. It's directed by John S. Baird, and it has, to be fair to it, a fucking really good cast. Um, but up front, we've got James McAvoy, uh, Jamie Bell, Jim Broadbent. But it's got loads of other really good actors in it, like uh, Joanna Frogger, Imogen Potts, and so on. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty stacked cast. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, I said last week it's an Irvin Welsh film. Obviously, I meant it's an adaptation from one of his novels, as was Trainspotting. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw this a good few years ago, obviously being a big train spotting fan. We did that a few, a few months back now. Uh, shameless plug, as we always do. Um, but this sort of popped up, and I think I bought the Blu-ray in CEX. It was a couple of quid, and I thought, I'll give that a shot. And um, then it popped up on uh, Prime, and it was part of that freebie thing. And it, it was annoying, because there's fucking loads of adverts. But um, yeah, uh, I just thought give you a chance to watch it as well and as you say the cast is pretty stellar there's a few sort of little cameos in there as well Trudy Styler pops up Sting's uh, wife Tracy Ann Oberman who's sort of been in loads of things including Toast of London she's in it as well and we've got Jamie Bell I mean he was um, Billy Elliot wasn't he fucking hell I've never seen that film but see how he's sort of progressed in his career yeah I have seen Billy Elliot and I don't remember much about it to be honest but um yeah he sort of pops up in a few things along the line but um yeah it's a pretty solid cast all in all um and again I didn't realize it's gonna be based off a novel because when you recommended it last week I didn't watch purposely just didn't read anything about it I didn't even go and watch like a trailer of it or anything I thought right I'm just gonna do like prison shower and go and dry see what um (laughs) see what happens with it really um so we are gonna obviously go for this one using the wiki synopsis like usual but um being up front the synopsis is all over the place i mean this movie's all over the place to be honest but the synopsis no offense to whoever wrote it but it does fuck all to tell what the plot is so you think we're haphazard hazard in our usual kind of like guys it's going to be a bit crazier this week as well <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah as i said to you earlier it's like yeah it's pretty um pretty sparse the um wiki synopsis i mean just going back to the cast we've got eamon elliot is that how you pronounce his name he was um chance in prometheus wouldn't he he plays inglis in this film and then we've got shirley henderson who um plays bunty and she was gail in Trainspotting, who was spud's girlfriend who we said um obviously spud was punching above his weight and i think um oh clifford in this film is probably punching above his weight a little bit as well with her but there we go definitely and harry potter fans would know her as moaning myrtle and she's also yes. one of uh bridget jones's friends in the bridget jones diary series um so yeah great cast and yeah, just uh, um, two of my uh, favourites, um, Imogen uh, po- uh, Poots is in here. She's really good and she's been in loads of stuff. And a movie, um, one of the first movies I saw in properly was one called uh, The Green Room. And I think I told you to watch it. It had Patrick Stewart in it as well. And it was about kind of white power, neo-Nazi type movie. It's pretty dark and everything, obviously set in America. She was in that as well as a bunch of other things, but I quite like her. And then Joanne Frogger, who's in loads of things, including Downton Abbey. 
but she did a show called Dark Angel once, which was um, I think it was Dark Angel or Angel of Death about a true story about a woman who used to marry people then kill her husbands off by poisoning their tea, which oh, uh, nice. I mean, people a long time, but um, <laughs> good as well. And she's not actually in it that much, but she is quite a pivotal part throughout. Yes, um, the the film with old uh, Imogen Poots and uh, Patrick Stewart, yeah, Green Green Room, whatever it was, I did watch that. Um, I thought it was really good, actually. Um, would like to watch that again. And I, I sort of thought she was pretty hot as well. Um, I mean, she's in this as a sort of... She only plays a little bit part, doesn't she? She's another police officer. But, yeah, um, she's nice, and she plays a role really well. Yeah, so, as we say, solid cast going on there. So um, let's take a look at this one. And as we say up front, it's going to be a little bit wonkier than usual. So for anyone who's um, <laughs> with us, uh, here we go. So this is coming from Wikipedia. So, Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson, a scheming, manipulative, misanthropic bully, spends his time indulging in drugs, alcohol, abusive sexual relationships, and the games. His euphemism for vindictive plots he hatches to cause trouble for people he dislikes, including many of his colleagues in the Edinburgh Police Force. Bruce also delights in bullying and taking advantage of his mild-mannered friend Clifford Blades, a member of Bruce's Masonic Lodge, whose wife, Bunty is the target of his repeated obscene phone calls. He only shows genuine warmth to Mary and her young son, the widowed wife of a child of a man whom he tries and fails to resuscitate after he suffers a heart attack in the street. So that kind of lets you know about the character that uh, McAvoy plays, but it tells you fuck all about the plot. <laughs> but this movie actually opens up with um, his kind of wife narrating. She's dressed fairly like burlesque, quite nice, all this sort of fancy house and stuff. And she's talking about what it takes to make like a relationship work and, you know, professionals love each other and all that sort of stuff. Then she heads out into the street and um, some poor uh, Japanese guy gets uh, bullied by a bunch of chavs and ends up being mugged and murdered. And that uh, then cuts to McAvoy arriving at his police station. And he's been put on the case to solve this murder, I think, in a nutshell. So um, what you, uh, what you got to say about it then, JT? Yeah, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there, Brad Roll. It does open with um, Carol, his wife, talking about how... Bruce and her spice their marriage up and they keep things going and he's going for this promotion. Then you get um, the, the the punks, aren't they, I suppose, rather than Chow's beating up the poor Japanese kid. And we find out they've murdered him. I mean, doesn't it first look like they've murdered him? But he does like, and again, I suppose it's done in a comedy way, but he does this sort of like Bruce Lee thing, doesn't he? Where he's like, hoi! And then he just beat the fucking living shit out of him. And it's quite nasty. And... I do like the way that it cuts to McAvoy and he's introducing Scotland in a pretty derogatory way and he's saying how shit it is and you get like this stereotype thing of someone drinking buck fast and everything. And then it's kind of, it, again, it was a bit of a train spotting sort of intro, I thought, and probably going back to the Urban Welsh thing, although obviously this is a totally different director. And then we hear he's going for his promotion and I do love the way he introduced all the other candidates, all the other sort of, his colleagues, they're all going for it. And he gives them odds, doesn't he? She's seven to one, he's 10 to one. He sort of introduces them and he gives them all their sort of foibles. So, yeah, I really like the intro to this. Yeah, it was really good. And again, not having a clue what type of movie this was going to be. The one thing that threw me um, straight away was it's a bit of a Christmas movie. It opens with Winter Wonderland playing. And it then does. Christmas in Scotland just looks like, you know, any other day in, you know, the UK, basically. It doesn't look particularly festive, but um, it is set in and around the uh, the Christmas period, which took me by surprise. But, yeah, that bit at the start, like you say, when um, the punks, you're right, they are probably more punky than Chavi, beat up that poor guy. And I didn't realise he was dead until, obviously, later on in the movie. Um, and then his intro was great, because it's just got that classic sort of, 
thing that you normally get with these British movies, even going as far as like Lockstock and that, where you get these kind of monologues and everything. And then when he's going around, when he's in his room and they're about to be briefed by their sort of chief inspector or whoever, and like you say, he's going around and he's rating these people. They get these random like intros, don't they? Like these sort of YMCA dance videos. And he's like, oh, this guy, he's such and such. And then he's there like fucking dancing with like a fucking leather vest on and those pants <laughs> and everything. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah, that's English, isn't it? He's like, he's he's what's known as metrosexual. And he getting fucking danced around with his like little PVC thong and that and everything. And he lets out a little squeaky fart as well when he sits down, doesn't he, in the room. He's like, ah, as he starts going on. And yeah, there's some very un-PC language as well, but it is fucking funny the way he does it. And then we get um, um, Toll, who's like the chief superintendent, I guess. I don't know what his actual job title is. Peter Sessions plays him. And I didn't realise um, Peter Sessions has been in a lot of things, but... He passed away a couple of years ago, and I didn't realise he was um, he was dead. So God rest his soul. And I thought he was great in this film. And he basically tells him that he wants him to take the lead on this this murder case that um, the Japanese kid got murdered. And um, he's like, "Yeah, I want you to take the lead, and they're going to be working under you. So you're kind of you're you're the head of you know you're going to get promoted. Basically, he's sort of sort of telling him that the job's his almost at this point, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then he um he goes out um on the sort of lookout with uh, Jamie Bell as his sort of partner, doesn't it? I can't remember the guy's sort of character's name. But... Ray. Ray's name, yeah. isn't it? And then they watch the guy, and obviously we, the audience, know straight away that this is the guy who killed the um, the tourist, the Japanese guy at the start of the movie, and he's walking along with like a schoolgirl, and he's like taking a piss um, or out of him. Then he goes into his... Um... No, it's not the guy who killed him, sorry. It's um, one of his sort of like cronies. And then he goes into the house and like... He threatens the fucking girl, doesn't he? He's like, so how old are you? And she's like, 18. And he checks her ID. It's like, you're 16 or something like that. And then he starts trying to get like, it's really fucking dodgy. He's like trying to get like a blowjob from her because he finds out that she's like, her dad's like a politician or something like that. And then he goes out to the fucking, the guy who's like, obviously the dodgy guy who's brought her home and start threatening him. That it's like, oh, we're going to throw you in the um the nick and we're going to say that you were sleeping with an 11-year-old. No, a 10-year-old. No, an 8-year-old. And end up giving him a fucking asthma attack. It's just really full on. It's dodgy, isn't it? I mean, if we find out when they're sat outside that Ray's got a baby cock, old Jamie Bell, and that plays a little bit later on in in the film when he starts to sort of turn people against each other. That's one of the things he uses against him. And then he's like, um, he's like, another toot? No. And he's already done a couple of lines of coke before he goes in, or he's banging up these little fucking toots as he goes in. And then he's like, yeah, like you say, he's um, this girl. And then he, he's like, Literally, oh, yeah, your dad's um, whatever. He's a judge or anything. And what do you think he's going to say if he finds out? And he starts undoing his flies and gets her to give him a blowjob, this, like, schoolgirl. And then this is the first sort of sign that he's a proper arsehole, really, isn't it? And he's like, who taught you that technique? It's a fucking cheese grater or something. He's properly going at her. And I'm like, well, she's underage, so you need to be fucking careful, mate. Yeah, it is fucking dodgy. I mean, it's like fucking... um... Renting and what's her face, isn't it? Back in train spotting, obviously, that was some dodgy stuff going on there. I mean, I know technically in the UK, 16 is a legal age of consent and everything, but again, just seeing it on a film and that, he's just a real fucking, he's just a mental character. I mean, he literally is mental, no, um, but no, not in a derogatory term, but he is, has got a screw loose. And I think McAvoy plays it really well as this sort of movie unfolds and his character kind of, you understand more about him, you sort of really appreciate how well McAvoy plays it in this movie. Absolutely, because they wind that guy up, obviously, for the underage sex and everything. And they're like, you're going to be put away with the beast. And he fucked a Highland cow to death. And he pulled the horns off the poor bastard. And they're properly winding him up. And it's 
I mean, obviously, it's nasty what they're saying, but it is pure comedy as well at the same time. It is, yeah. So they just kind of get what they need. And then um, it's around this sort of time. I think he goes into, like, the, the flower shop. That might be in a bit. But then this is where he meets um, Joanne Froggett's character, isn't it? And um, you see her, she's, like, calling for help, and everyone's just sort of standing around watching. And then suddenly it was really out of character because he has been, like, an arsehole and a bit of a kind of, like, pillock up until this point but then he sort of runs over and he's doing cpr and he's trying to um save this guy and then it flashes to like goes from the guy who's dying to like a little boy who's got like burning burns and smoke marks all over him and that quickly and hallucinations come into it a fair bit and then obviously you just see her get driven off in an ambulance that's the first time you've kind of seen that he has like almost like a caring side to him yeah exactly because just before that we see um we see him with chrissy i think it is isn't it and they're like, turn off the gas, and they're like, properly fucking choking oh, each God, other. Yeah. So they're doing it. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? And um, yeah, it's um, it's one of the guys he works with. It's his wife, isn't it, Chrissy? That he's he's fucking and turning off the gas with, for want of a better word. But he kind of he starts turning people against each other as well, doesn't he? He's in the pub, and he he's um, I think it's Gus, the old guy, and he starts talking shit to him about how everyone's against him. And you can see how he's twisting everyone and just he's really vindictive. But then, like you say, we see that bit there where um, he tries to save the guy having a heart attack and you see the human side of him. So you're kind of wondering what this character is all about at this point, aren't you? You are, absolutely. And it's um, Chrissy, that's Kate Dickey's character, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah, because she's like, she's fucking ripped in this as well. Like I've seen her in a fair few movies and again, she doesn't normally... You know, she's not usually naked in most of the movies I've seen her in, but like, like you say, she's kind of turning the gas off on him, like strangling him with this cord while she's like fucking riding him. And she's fucking completely ripped in sort of um, hench in this one. She's fucking scary. Yeah, yeah, she's a bit insane. She's like, turn off the gas, turn off the gas. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And this is where also where we get our first sort of look at um, a Jim Broadbent's character as well, don't we? We sort of see a glimpse of. Um, Bruce in in at this point in time was one of the rare times where he's actually just sat in like a normal kind of counselor's office talking to Jim Broadbent, who we get the impression is his sort of psychiatrist. And then he's fucking this bit completely spun me out. He sat at home. You just see him like from the back in his house, and he's like watching like lesbian porn, and he's like cranking one out. <laughs> and then like a bloke joins women, so he goes, "Ah, oh, I don't want to watch this." And he changes it to some fucking weird TV show with this weird guy with a big head. And then he calls old Moaning Myrtle and starts like fucking prank calling her and like just fucking calling the loads of weird names and shit and like doing these calls and he just it's Frank Sidebottom isn't it the character he's watching yeah but I love that bit he's literally there like you say cranky one out to see these two lesbians and this big black guy walks in and he's like for fuck's sake and he just turns over to Frank Sidebottom and then calls Bunny and I'm like what the fuck it's just fucking weird. To be honest, this is a good sort of like 20 minutes into the movie and I'm still like, what the fuck am I watching? I don't actually know what's going on really apart from he's got to solve this murder. But I swear, I've got it in my notes actually. I think it gets to about 42 minutes into the movie before they even bother doing anything with this bloody murder, like even trying to fucking solve it. We kind of find out why towards the end. Yeah, yeah, you're right actually. They, it does take a sort of sidestep, doesn't it, to what's actually going on. But um, yeah, the synopsis sort of does carry on a little bit, but I'm just looking at it now and it, it is pretty fucking bare bones. Yeah, so the next bit, so as the story begins, as we've just sort of touched on, Bruce's main goal is to gain a promotion to become Detective Inspector, the patch to which appears to open um, when he is assigned to oversee the investigation into the murder of a Japanese exchange student. However, Bruce slowly loses his grip on reality as he works the case and has more and more vivid hallucinations. 
It is the ultimate. It is ultimately revealed through dreamlike exchanges with Dr. Rossi, Bruce's psychiatrist, that he is on medication for bipolar disorder and has repressed immense feelings of guilt over a childhood accident that led to the death of his younger brother. We learn his wife Carol has left him and is denying him access to his daughter Stacy. Now that kind of jumps ahead quite a bit there because the whole all for this movie we keep getting these glimpses as the movie opened. As we said, we see that sort of picture of Carol and she kind of pops up and narrates the movie in various places saying oh yeah when he gets his promotion when he comes home i show him what an appreciative wife i am and all this sort of weird sort of stuff and all through the movie whenever someone else says you know oh, how's your wife how's your daughter he's like oh yeah brilliant you know i'm the man of the house i'm all this sort of stuff and we find out it's just all bullshit because she's left him and won't even sort of speak to him yeah i mean watching this again for the third time for this podcast um you kind of you do see that every time someone mentions her he does sort of deflect it a little bit oh yeah things are fine but he's always changing the subject so you kind of know something's up there um and also in this sort of whole sequence here like the the synopsis is pretty shit as we said um we meet old uh clifford blades and i do love him it's eddie marson isn't it and we've seen him in yeah. the gentleman among other things he's a great character in this isn't he i thought he was brilliant and bunty's his wife and when they go to the mason's lodge and they meet him it's just <laughs> Clifford gives him a drink. He's like, I'm just going to the toilet. And um, old Bruce just drinks it while he's in the toilet. And we find out that basically Bruce is literally manipulating him. And he? he's been an absolute arsehole to him. He's supposed to be his best mate. But he's an absolute dick to him, isn't he? He is. And all the way for the movie, is it? Because he's supposed to be, he's put on the case, isn't he? As well as trying to solve this murder, he's supposed to be tracking down who's har- um, harassing his wife and sending all like the perverted calls and everything but it's fucking him doing it isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, he goes to see her at one point doesn't he like they, they he goes to um hers and cliff's house and he's like yeah i'm on the case and everything i'll fucking find this sick perverted bastard and everything and he's like um was it uh you were you were sort of told by probably the um the sort of uniform guys to to deflect him but i think you should encourage him you should definitely get him sort of you know get him to to sort of talk to you and you need to tell him what you like and everything. Obviously it's him, isn't it? He's doing it for his own perverted fucking needs. Cause then he phones her back and she's like, Oh, I really want your cock and everything. He's like, oh, would you like to see my cock? And he's probably like egging her on, <laughs> but he's the one who's told her to do it in the first place. Apologies for anyone who might be listening to this out loud somewhere and someone just walked by and wondered what the fuck you're listening to. But this really does happen in the movie, I swear. <laughs> it is though, isn't it? And then him and um fucking Cliff, they go to Frankfurt, don't they, on this holiday or like a, a, a I don't know what it is. It's like he's told his boss and he told John Sessions that it's a cycling trip or something, but he takes fucking Clifford to Frankfurt and then they get probably fucked up and he mugs him off. He drops ecstasy in his fucking drink, doesn't he, in this gay club. And he's like, oh, those fucking bufties over there and everything. Then he gets Clifford to fucking dance with him. And it's brilliant. Eddie Marson plays it so well, that scene. That bit was fucking hilarious. He gets like this fucking rope light, doesn't he? And he's like trying to like lasso <laughs> and everything like that. Like rubbing his fucking nipples with his like fucking tail <laughs> and everything. And he is the bastard because he's got these proper like big milk bottle glasses. And old fucking Bruce steals him when he's passed out and just takes him outside, stands on them, and then throws him in the fucking canal. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's an absolute arsehole to him, isn't he? He's an absolute dick. And then we get the Jim Broadbent scenes. The first one, he, he's pretty normal, old Jim Broadbent. He's giving him these pills and everything. And then he, as he hallucinates more and more, Jim Broadbent gets more and more fucking mental, doesn't he? He just sort of lets the reins off him. And it's weird as well, because at one point, Jim Broadbent's like, oh, fucking hell or something. And I, I don't know if I've ever heard him swear before. It just seemed a bit strange. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I've, I've heard him swear in a few films, but it's weird because he's got like this. He looks like Doctor Wito. He's got this he massive does. fucking forehead, his crazy ass hair. He's got this long lab coat, and now he's in this weird kind of fucking warped room. And this is where we really get the hallucinations because well, old um, his mates like when when they're on the trip that he's like having a real fucking bad time with the drugs. Like McAvoy runs to the bathroom and then he starts. He looks in the mirror and then he sees himself as a pig, doesn't he? I and mean, this is yeah. where he starts hallucinating people as animals. Yeah, it's mental, isn't it? And then there's one scene as well, isn't it, where he's uh, he's having a wank in the toilets at work over like a page <laughs> three girl, and he's like, "Oh, you fucking slags, he can't come or whatever," and he throws it against the wall, and he just writes um something about old oh, Peter English, doesn't it? Sucks cock or something, and then he goes into the 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 room. He's like, "Oh, someone's written some derogatory fucking stuff about Peter on the walls again," and he gets everyone like going, "What the hell's going on here?" But it's him who's done it in the first place. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, and I know again, not very PC or anything, but like, no one wants to admit, like, the chief inspector, isn't it? Like, he's just like fucking, he can't come to terms with the fact that someone in his force might be gay. Obviously, it's very like old old school beliefs and all that sort of stuff. And um, he sort of sat there, and he goes, this, you know, it's disgusting and everything. If I find out who's done it, I'm gonna fucking kill him. But we know full well it's just him because he obviously couldn't come or couldn't get um his cock up over page three or something. He decided to write something on the walls and stuff, and. The police guy's like, I don't think we could have someone like that on the police force. I mean, what he was undressing you with his eyes and all this sort of shit, and it's just really weird. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's his way of trying to turn everyone against each other, isn't it? So he can get promotion, because at this point he still thinks he's in line for it, although he's he's definitely not. Um, but yeah, it's just fucking... Then he, he goes to, like, this weird sort of, like, brothel, doesn't he? And he gets um, Gorman's DNA. Gorman, um, not from Aliens, but um, the guy who's actually done the murder... And he gets the DNA from a prostitute. And then he, he's like, what was it? Oh, I never thought I'd leave the, uh, a brothel with more spunk than when I came in with. Just kind of lines <laughs> like that are just quite funny, aren't they? It is, because um, obviously he speaks in like a really kind of heavy Scottish accent, obviously, um, a bit like they did in train spot and stuff, just to emphasise the fact that the way they fucking come out with stuff is brilliant. And obviously the way the movie kind of like comes along, it's like, so we've kind of seen the villain. We know who it is, the audience, and we're pretty sure that, um, Bruce knows because he popped into the flower shop at one point and speaks to the woman um, who was with the guy when the murder happened. And she's like, oh, I think I know you. And he's like, no, no, you don't. And um, obviously that leads on to something a bit later on. But I was thinking about this movie. It's like, we clearly know it's this guy. And obviously the police are starting to get a little bit like, why aren't you doing anything about solving this crime? You know, we're waiting for you. And it ends up old, um, the woman, isn't it? Is it, um, I can't remember her name now. Uh, the one who gets promoted. Is it Dunham? Durham? Oh, uh, Amanda, isn't it? Amanda Dunham, I think. Um, Imogen Poots, isn't it? Yeah, her character gets a job over him and he's really starting to fall apart at this point. And I'm just thinking, where is this movie kind of going at the moment? I mean, he's playing it really well, but like she tries to kind of, because he kicks off that she gets like put in charge and he gets sort of bumped back down again. Um, I guess like really pissed off. And at one point he's having a proper breakdown and she tries to talk to him. And he kind of calms down a little bit. And then he just suddenly gets all defensive and starts being aggressive to her again and storms off. Yeah. I mean, before that, and even before I think they go to Frankfurt, him and Clifford, the Christmas party, though, is so good, isn't it? When they are photocopying their cocks, because oh. it's the one thing when he says to old poor Ray Lennox, he's like, yeah, there's this thing we used to do back in the day when um we, uh, we got everyone to photocopy their cocks. And one of the women there is like, yeah, let's have a go then. Let's do it. And, obviously everyone does it and old Ray's like oh shit what the fuck am I going to do now he's like you see his little face he's like shit and then um, uh, Bruce does it and he presses the enlarge button like three times 
<laughs> which probably wouldn't work. I mean, when you see them all, I mean, it doesn't look particularly like they've just photocopied them there and then. It looks pretty, um, pretty false. But um, and he gets to um, we hear earlier on when he's going on about the the people going for the promotion. Ray's been trying to fuck one of the secretaries, isn't he? But um, because she's seen old Bruce's enlarged cock, she's like, oh, fuck me with that big horse cock. And then he, he obviously pops it in her face. is like pure disappointment. She's like, what the fuck is he doing her from behind? That bit was brilliant because her expression was amazing. She's like, oh, come on, sort of thing, realising that he's just got <laughs> a fucking, you know, cocktail sausage. But his fucking face is brilliant. He's like behind her and he's just got this big fucking cheeky, like, <laughs> It's like an emoji, and he's like really happy with himself, and she's just like, like you say, really fucking disappointed. But oh, it's brilliant! Fucking stitches. And then they, they, later on, I'm assuming it's the same night. They go to that club, and he stitches Peter up properly, doesn't he? He gets that gay guy. He's in the toilets, and he's sort of see him talk to him. He goes, What's going on here then? And then he comes into that room. They're all there having a drink. He's like, Oh, hi, Peter. He's like, who the fucking hell are you? And then he probably gets them to kick off against him, doesn't he? Because everyone's obviously thinking he's done that graffiti in the toilet. So he's like, he's got this guy to come in pretending he knows Peter. And it's just like, it's such a dick move. It is, yeah. Because then the other guy, and again, I'm really shit with names. I've only watched this once and trying to get them all together. But he fucking, he stands up and he's like, are you a doctor or something like that? And then obviously to show defensively, punches this guy. Um, this poor bloke who's sort of like popped in who falls down and he slides down the front of this fucking copper, doesn't he? And his like, face ends up right by his cock and he's like, get your face away from me, cock! <laughs> it's brilliant. It's really, really good, isn't it? And then, obviously, like you say, then he go, he comes back after he's been to Frankfurt, he goes in, I think Toll actually phones him, he's like, get your ass into the fucking office and he's stuck bollock naked in the right state, so he comes in and then we find out that old... Uh, Imogen Poots, um, Amanda, I think her name is, has been put on the case. He's definitely not happy, is he, at all? No, he's not, and he gets really fucking shitty. And this is around the time where he's, he ends up, because um, the chief inspector guy's, like, bollocking him. He's like, have you even done anything about these, like, fucking, you know, these perv calls and everything? Look at you, you're falling apart. And that's when he ends up framing old poor Blades for it, doesn't he? Like, blaming the fucking, his best mate, the husband of um, old Moaning Myrtle and everything. He ends up, like, framing him, and he ends up getting arrested for it. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I think I know who the prank caller is. It's Clifford Blades. And he's like, what? Okay, fair enough. And then, yeah, like you say, poor old Clifford gets put down for it for a bit, doesn't he? He gets, um, he's in a cell. But, yeah, I mean, it, again, he goes to um to Ray's place as well, doesn't he? And he's like, everyone's against you. They all know you're taking coke and watch Gus. He's a slide bastard. Gus is one of the older sort of coppers. He's like, he knows you're fucking banging coke and everything. He's an absolute dick to him as well because he puts a cigarette out on his sofa, doesn't he, while he's doing a line? And he does this really sort of sly look at him while he's doing it. He's like, Yeah, I've fucking got you here, mate. He's just an absolute asshole in this film, but he plays it so well. He is. I mean, yeah, his acting is fucking brilliant. Um, just going off tangent here, he's done another movie that I keep meaning to um, watch where he plays all these different guys. I think it's called Split, where he plays a character that's got like loads of different personalities and stuff. And after watching this, I'm thinking, I need to actually go and watch that now because he is brilliant in this. And just the way he's, his personality keeps flipping and the way he, re- he acts with different people is just so weird. But again, like you, you kind of follow him because he's doing it such a good job. He's a bloody good actor in this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that split film's one that's been on my radar for a while, and I think after watching this, I need to see it as well. I mean, there's a point where he's watching he's watching a video of Carol, his wife, and Stacy, and he's crying. 
So you kind of get the idea that all's not okay. And that's, again, when he phones Bunty and he puts on the old Frank Sidebottom Northern accent and he gets her going. She, he's like, that's when he's like, oh, you want to see my cock? And she's like, okay. And he starts having a wank and she's probably getting on it as well. And it's just like, okay, this is mental. Then we get some more crazy Jim Broadbent things and then um, he's turning off the gas and it's all fucking just going crazy, isn't it? It is. This whole part of the movie was just all over the place. Like say, because that's how many records um, Blades, isn't it? Like, gets him to do the Frank Sidebottom impression and he plays it back as evidence. 12 Moaning Myrtle. She's like shagging him and he goes, I, he's like, I know who the other prank caller is and she's like, I don't care. And it's like, it's your husband and all this sort of shit. So that's how he ends up getting like, sent down. Um, and the bits with Jim Broadbent, this is where we start to see more about um, him and his brother because it's like they were playing together on like a big kind of like coal stack or something and his brother must have fell and got trapped under the coal and died and that obviously fucked him up from a bit of a young age and everything as it probably would do. And now he's starting to have like his real breakdown because at one point um, he's having the gas turned off and he imagines one of his colleagues dressed as Hitler fucking him and I was just like, bloody <laughs> <does>. hell. <laughs> yeah, that is fucking weird, that bit, isn't it? Yeah, she's um, she's literally on top of him riding him and he looks up and he sees fucking Hitler. I was like, what the hell? But yeah, the whole bit as well when he has the proper breakdown, he's in the women's toilets, isn't he, at work and um, Amanda, old Imogen Poots, comes in and says, um, what the hell's going on? I'm worried about you. Why the fuck are you in the women's toilets? And he's a complete arsehole to her at first, isn't he? He's got up her against the wall and she thinks he's, he's going to hit her. And then he just breaks down. And this is when, I mean, the movie's been quite comedic up until now, but then it does take a sort of dark turn. He literally breaks down. He's like, I think my family's left me. I, I don't know what's going on. And she's like, you're basically not fit to be at work, which he definitely isn't. I mean, he's an absolute fucking state at this point, isn't he? He is. He's fucking. He's got the sweats and all kinds. And I thought again, this was fucking brilliant. And you're right. The movie does take a turn. And obviously, I'll give my thoughts on where it actually goes. Obviously, at the end, like usual. But yeah, that bit where he like just suddenly turns on her and pushes her, and she's like, "Are you gonna fucking hit me?" And then he literally, it's almost like it snaps him out of it for a minute. And he's like, "No, I, I wasn't gonna hit you." And it's like his face drops, and it's like he's back to reality suddenly. And he just the way he slowly steps away, and then sort of like stands against the wall and sort of sinks down, sort of like hugging himself or something. And then she tentatively sort of sits down and tries to talk to him. I thought this bit was fucking brilliant from both of them. The acting was superb. And you can tell she's still a little bit on edge, but genuinely, like she's saying, I don't like you as a person, but as a colleague, I'm, I'm, you know, I want you to get help. I'm, you know, I'm worried about you and stuff. And I just thought it was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Both of them play it really, really well. And, then he sort of snaps at her again, doesn't he? He's like, get the fuck up there and sort this shit out. And then he's like, I'm still in charge. And he marches out and he goes to see old, um, poor old Cliff in prison, doesn't he? And he fucking starts on him as well. Cliff is like, why do you do it to me? Why are you such an arsehole to me? He's like, because I can. And then he punches him and I'm like, fucking hell, you are such an arsehole. Yeah. Yeah. It's just fucking weird. Isn't it? And this is, again, like he's completely... You know, fucking unraveling here and that, and um, obviously he goes to. This is the part as well where he obviously goes to sleep with Chrissy, and then imagines Hitler, and then it all just goes fucking weird. Because the next thing you know, he's um, we're getting another kind of monologue. He's at home, and it's like a monologue of his wife, but then it changes to his voice, and he starts like dressing up as her and putting on all her clothes and shit. And I was just like, fucking hell, what? Have I blinked and I've gone into another film here? I just wasn't able to keep up with how fucking weird this film was being. Yeah, I mean, after Chrissy um, does her turn on the gas again, he hallucinates Hitler. Then he, he says to her, oh, I'm not well, I'm definitely not well, and I'm hearing voices. And she's like, you need to lay off all the shit you're doing, which, you know, 
to be fair, he's drinking vodka out of the bottle while he's on the job. He's snorting coke. He's not in a good place, is he, at all? No, and I thought this bit as well, again, this is where obviously the crux of the movie really comes together. When he's just led there and he's like, like again, obviously about mental health, the way it is and everything, um, the way he's like suddenly just got to this point now where he's like asking someone, he's like, look, do you hear voices? I, I need help and stuff. But she just completely fucks him off, doesn't she? So, again, for this, probably like the one time that he's kind of at the point where he like needs to ask someone for help and would take help everyone turns their back on him because he's put himself in this situation where he's just, he's just been an arsehole to everyone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's been a complete arsehole to her and she's she's said to him a few times that, you know, she wants him to sort of be part of her life. And he's like, no, I'm just pretty much interested in fucking you and that's it. So, you know, he's kind of made his own bed a little bit there. But, um, yeah, you can see he's just reaching out for help with anyone. But because, like you say, he's been such an arsehole to everyone. Everyone's like, well, no, fuck it. You, you've made this bed. You fucking lie in it. Yeah. So back to the old wiki synopsis, um, which sort of rounds this stuff up a bit. So these domestic issues sparked his desperate bid for promotion, played part in the unusual display of kindness towards Mary and her son. And I've also led him to start cross-dressing of his wife when off duty to keep her close. While wandering the streets on such an occasion, Bruce is kidnapped by a street gang led by the thuggish Gorman, who are responsible for the murder and badly beaten. However, he manages to kill Gorman by throwing him through a window and is found by his colleagues. Bruce not only misses out on the promotion as a result of the events, but is in fact demoted to constable and reassigned to uniform, while rookie Ray Lennox is promoted to detective inspector. So this sort of like leads into the bit, because when he gets all dressed up and like in his wife's garb and goes out, it's like it kind of comes full circle a bit. So you kind of see that opening of the movie of him walking down the street. But then he's just like leant against a wall. And then Gorman and his crew just fucking pull up out of nowhere, throw him into the car, drag him into this fucking warehouse. And one minute Gorman's like beating the shit out of him. Then he's like got him against the wall and fucking kissing him and giving him a feel and then gets thrown out the fucking window. It's a bit strange, isn't it? I didn't really know how Gorman and his crew found him. Did he want to be found? Because he he does another line of coke, obviously. He's been doing it all throughout the movie. And there's a, a voiceover by Carol going on. Then it blends into his voice. And then you see him sort of getting dressed up as her. And then um, he's just, like you say, the synopsis said there, he's he's up against this wall and then Gorman and his crew just pull up and pick him up. I'm like, so did they know he was there? Did he want to be picked up by them? I didn't really get that whole bit. But, yeah, I mean, they take him to this lock-up, they tie him up and Gorman wants to kill him and his mate's really not into it. He's like, no, he's a fucking cop. He can't kill a cop. And he gets sort of left alone with Gorman who starts beating the shit out of him and he's pretty brutal. He, he fucking puts a big headbutt in at one point and then Gorman puts the wig back on him, starts kissing him. I'm like, oh, this is really strange. And then he, he sort of bites his tongue, doesn't he? He grabs Gorman and chucks him out the window. Yeah. Yeah, it's just such a weird turn of events. And yeah, that bit where they picked him up just really threw me, like we just said there. It's like, because I don't know how they would have found him at that point in that you know particular time. But um, yeah, then obviously he sort of he slumped against the, um, the sort of, I don't know, like the wall or something. Then he opens his eyes and um, his two colleagues are there and he, they obviously say, look, this is like a fucking don't know what to do about this, but obviously you're gonna have to we're gonna have to report this and everything to the chief inspector. And then he ends up like getting demoted, his face is completely fucked. I thought they got a pretty good job of the like after fight makeup because he took a beating and for this last sort of twenty minutes of the movie, he does have like loads of kind of like scabs and scars all over his face. I thought it looked quite genuine. Yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, he does look pretty fucked up. And um uh, yeah, Raid comes in and sort of tells him he's been promoted and that he's stopped doing the coke and all the hookers and everything. And he's like, 
and he, he's an asshole to him, isn't he? Because obviously um, Bruce has been a, a complete dick to Ray throughout this whole film. And he's like, you understand, little pig, the same rules still apply, but, you know, I'm in charge now. And, um, yeah, and then he says that basically Cliff's going to get thrown out of the lodge if the sick phone calls keep up, because obviously they still think Clifford's doing the sick phone calls to Bunty. Yeah, yeah, it's true, isn't it, bless him. And then we see um, a shot of him with um, Jim Broadbent, who's back to normal now, thankfully, not looking like Dr. Wito, um, <laughs> like giving him like his medication. And then he's in the supermarket. And this is the one and only time in the movie where he actually properly sees his wife and she sort of stares at him. And then her sort of like um, new boyfriend or whatever sort of looks around and they pick up their door and just sort of run off and won't speak to him. And then um, Joanne sort of Froggett's character turns up with her son and they briefly see each other. Um, and then he's like, he's like, oh, don't go or something like that. But she obviously has to go off with her son because he's looking a little bit sort of scatty at this point. And I just thought, again, the acting was really good. I could see the sort of desperation in his face of like, he's back on his meds. He's probably a bit more in touch with reality now and everything and probably just feeling quite vulnerable as a character. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she taps him on the shoulder. He's just seen his wife and his daughter, obviously, with, with the new fellow. And, you know, that fucking hurts. I've been there. I've not been married, but, I've, you know, I've, I've been in that sort of situation and it does hurt. And then, um, yeah, she taps him on the shoulder. And he's got a bottle of wine in his hand and he drops a bottle of wine, doesn't he? And he just looks so, like say, vulnerable at this point. He just turns to her and he's like, She's like, you don't look too good. And he's like, um, well, I'm undercover. I'm, I'm staking out this place. There's some dodgy people here. So I'm sort of staking out. And he's, his face is still cut up and everything. And he's like, don't go. And she's, her son's sort of pulling her arm. No, we need to go. And she goes. But yeah, you can see that just absolute vulnerability there. I think it's brilliant the way it's done. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see how this one ends then. So afterwards, Blaze receives a tape of Bruce apologising. Bruce then prepares to commit suicide by hanging, but it's interrupted at the last moment by Mary and her son knocking at his front door. He then breaks the fourth wall and addresses the audience, repeating his catchphrase, same rules apply, and laughs as the chair slips from under him. And again, I wasn't expecting this just to fucking turn so much because it sort of cuts to like, he's getting ready for a day at work. He's putting his proper like, you know, Bobby uniform on and everything. He's still got obviously a bit of messed up sort of face. And then it obviously goes back and forth like him, you see sort of Blade receiving the video and sat there sort of watching it and him confessing to all the sort of shit he's done. And he's saying, look, you're a really nice guy. You know, you need to lose your big milk bottle glasses, don't you? And obviously pay a bit more attention to your wife because she loves you and just wants some attention. Um, and don't let people push you around. So he's really trying to mend that fence. But at the same time, you see him setting up the chair and he's got the scarf um, that old Froggett's character gave him as a thank you for trying to save her husband. It was like his favourite football team colours. And he's like tying it to the ceiling. And I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> is he actually going to kill himself or are they going to, you know, have a way of him getting out of it? But obviously he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a, quite a sad ending, isn't it? Because he's in the shower as well and she leaves him a voicemail, old uh, Mary, um, Joanne Froggart's character. She leaves him a voicemail saying, can we come round? Um, but he's in the shower, so he doesn't get it. And then he comes out and he sees there's a message left on his answer machine, but he doesn't actually listen to it. And then we see him, obviously, he sends a video to Clifford and says, you know, what the shit that you just said there, that, you know, you need to get rid of glasses and everything, and Bunty will love you again, make you want her, uh, want you again. And it does work, to be fair, she's all over him. Um, but, yeah, um, it's the video sort of playing. He gets up on the chair and um, you think, oh, uh, is, is this going to end badly, goodly? Because um, Mary comes and she rings the doorbell, doesn't she? And you see the shadow of her and her son in, in the doorway. And then the chair sort of goes and he hangs himself. He looks at the camera and just goes, same rules apply, gives a fucking manic grin and it ends. 
So yeah, pretty fucking dark ending, really. Yeah, it is, and it took me by surprise. But um, yeah, it was just it is what it was, and like, it was around this sort of like the last sort of thirty minutes. I thought it came together really well because the first sort of chunk of the movie, the sort of most of it is just so fucking scatterbrained in that. But then when it does start to come together, I was really starting to you know get into it, and obviously the performances are what did that more than anything else. So um, yeah, unexpected ending, but um, yeah. An interesting take so i guess we are uh, better give this one some scores indeedy bread roll um do you want me to go first as i recommended it i think it might even be my turn anyway yeah yeah go for it okie dokie so and this popped up as a recommendation on prime and i remembered i had seen it um and i sort of been wanting to watch it again for a while and it was quite annoying because it was on freebie and there was adverts fucking left right and center um but watching it again i did remember bits of it but not a lot and it had definitely Reminded me of train spotting in some sort of parts. I guess that's been an urban Welsh novel adaptation, and in fact, it's set in Scotland. Um, so, not surprising, although it was a different director, obviously. I thought James McAvoy was amazing in this film, fucking amazing. Um, and I thought, although his character is a complete arsehole, you do have some sympathy for him. He's a complete bell end, but there's reasons why he's a complete bell end. And the supporting cast were all great. I mean, Eddie Marson as Clifford was brilliant. John Sessions as his um, Chief Inspector Toll, I thought was good. Imogen Poots, everyone um, just played their part really well. All the other coppers as well. Didn't you get Jim Broadbent just being allowed to be crazy? I thought it was really good. Um, I mean, it is a pretty dark film, but there's some great comedy moments as per train spotting, I guess. I thought the soundtrack was really good. Um, I've watched this twice in the last week, once while I was working. Um, then again for the podcast, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it both times. Um, so I'm going to give this a really strong four others. I think it's a great film and probably has slipped under the radar for quite a few people. So if you haven't seen it, I suggest getting out there and watching it because although it's quite depressing, it is funny in places. And James McAvoy just, I thought, was brilliant in this film. So, so good. Um, so I'm giving it a very strong four others. Um, it's on Freevee and the adverts are annoying, but still check it out. Yeah, so four from me, Brad. Well, what about yourself? Ah, lovely stuff, JT. Um, yeah, as I said at the start, I, I didn't really know anything about this film, um, so I was intrigued when you recommended it because I always like to try new things. Um, and yeah, literally from the minute I pressed play this morning, um, started watching it at like seven o'clock as I tend to do on a Sunday morning <laughs> <laughs> or thereabouts. Um, yeah, I was I was kind of investing it in watching it. Um, again, I didn't realise it was going to be this style of movie at all. Um, but yeah, I mean. A dark comedy yeah definitely dark and it does have its funny moments but it does actually tell of quite a kind of serious poignant story almost and it is kind of that take on when you break it down it's like that sort of like mental health barrier about how people kind of pretend people who suffer with like depression and like anxiety like all that sort of stuff you know people who really struggle put on this facade of who they really are which is nothing like them just to try and get through the day and unfortunately in this case James McAvoy's character is Put on too much of a facade, he's letting the drugs and the shit get to him and becomes a complete dickhead and alienates everyone around him. But it's played so so well. And as JT said, all the support cast are absolutely brilliant. And it's always good to see Jim Broadbent. Never thought I'd see him with a massive fucking forehead like this <laughs> one. But either way, it's in there. When you actually look back at the movie, like even the comedy bits, they kind of got their kind of relativeness. So it's not just put in there just for shits and giggles. Um, coming into this movie, like watching it for the first time, yeah, I enjoyed it and I will definitely watch it again. And now I kind of get the idea of the movie, I'll probably pick up on so much more of it. But having watched it for the first time today, I would recommend other people to watch it. 
especially if you like things like train spotting. Um, it's definitely got a lot of those vibes in there. But I'm going to probably just give it a three for now. A really good strong three right in the middle. But as I say, this is the first time I've watched it. I did enjoy it um, and I will watch it again and I'd recommend other people to do so. But um, I think I need to watch it at least one or two more times before I can really kind of soak it all in, if that makes sense. So uh, three others from me, JT. Oh, good stuff, Brad Roll. No, I'm glad, um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I've, uh, James McAvoy just blew me away in this film. I haven't watched it twice in the last week. His performance is just uh, it's unbelievable. I just think he's brilliant in this. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. I mean, he's a great actor anyway. Um, but yeah, he, he really kind of like fucking out his crust in this one, definitely. Um, and again, thank you for everyone who's joined us this week. Apologies if it was a bit of a ropey synopsis. It was mainly just coming from what I remembered I watched and the few notes that I wrote down. Um, that one on Wikipedia wasn't as smooth as we normally have them. But um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it was an interesting one to discuss. I'm glad you suggested it. Oh yeah, good stuff. I thought I thought you'd probably like it. But um, yeah, it just popped up on old uh, Amazon Prime for one of the recommendations. I thought, I haven't seen that for a while. And I do remember enjoying it the first time I saw it. So yeah, might even try and find my Blu-ray of it. So I don't have it anymore. Maybe I'll pick it up somewhere. CEX, probably about two quid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that is our look at filth. Let us know what you think of the review in general. And if you've seen the film, if you're a fan of it, or if you're not a fan of it, then uh, get in touch and let us know at the Hyperbaric Ghost on Twitter. And join us next week, as it's my suggestion uh, for next week. And it is a relatively new movie. It only came out in the last sort of few weeks. And it's called The Menu, which is available on Disney Plus at the moment. It stars Ralph Fiennes, Nicholas Holt and Anna Taylor-Joy. And um, I know you haven't seen it, JT. I just watched it randomly the other day because Rachel put it on. But I was uh, quite, in, in, well, I'm not going to say too much, but um, it was watchable and I'm, very much worth a review. So I'm looking forward to hear what you say, uh, think about it. Yeah, I'm glad you recommended it because it's popped up on uh, Disney Plus and I thought, oh, I might check that out. And then you recommended it. And I've listened to another podcast by some uh, some other people I know and they've they've raved about it as well. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this one, I have to say. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, another movie, a bit similar to this one in the fact that it's um it's not what it first appears to be. So, uh, yeah, let us know. Um, Obviously, join us next week for that one. But let us know ahead of time if you've seen the film and um, if you think uh, JT's going to like it or if he's not going to like it. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> and as always, thank you for joining us. And this is Bread Roll signing off. And this is JT with just one last thing to say. I'm on a murder case here. That's M-U-R-D-E-R, which spells S-E-R-I-O-U-S. So if I don't get my A-R-S-E in G-E-A-R, I'm in serious S-H-I-T. Okay. you in the eye